at six o'clock in the morning. So the shadow treasurer clubbing into his car through the passenger seat. What is that? How do they identify you by your ass? Is it on? Look, I'm going to shirt front, Mr. Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it, it is on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of BuzzFeed, Australia's political podcast, Is It On? My name is Alice Workman and this week I'm in Sydney with Mark Stefano for his last ever podcast. Mm. Hello Alice, I'm moving to the UK. Are you, are you okay with that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I am. Yeah, so um, if people don't know already, which I'm sure... Most people do. Um, it's all over Twitter. <laughs> I am um, I'm moving to the UK with my fiancé to live and work out of the BuzzFeed UK office. I'll be covering U- UK politics and the UK media scene. Um, so I'm super jazzed about that. And I'm pretty, yeah, I, I've been here for three years now. And um, we've built BuzzFeed Ozpol to be something um, of, a, of a cool little thing, I think. Yeah, but if people still want to um, talk to you on the lines, uh, they can stay up real late at night when, when you're at work exactly. <laughs> in the UK. And exactly. Just send you some sneaky DMs. Sneaky DMs. Slide into those Slide into my DMs. If you have any Australian political tips, always send them to me because I'll farm them out. Will you send them to me? Yes, of course I will. Ah. (laughs) What do we have on this week's episode though? Oh my God. Huge, huge show. Huge show. Uh, You sat down with Annabelle Crabb to talk about her new ABC documentary, The House. The House. And guys. You've got a problem with The House though. I do. In the promo for Annabelle, if you're listening, in the promo <laughs> for this television program, which is shot beautifully it's and so has nice. some lovely content, and I've learned a lot. But in the promo, I was sitting on a train going from Paris to Lyon, and I saw this promo pop up on Twitter, and I thought, I've got to give this, I've got to give this a watch. Got to give this a run. <laughs> and at the end of the promo, Annabelle says to the camera, "So this is the first time anyone's had such an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a place." Everyone just calls the house. And I just stopped and I thought, well, no one calls it that. I don't call it that. And I've done a straw poll. Do you call it that, Mark? I call it Pali. Yeah, I call it, I think most people call it Pali, right? Well, the house. If you said the house to me, I would think that you house were talking about the house of reps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, I think that, look, it's a nice name for a show. Sure. But she definitely profiles the Senate and the house of reps. Just saying, it's no one calls it the house. But anyway, um, um, who else do we have on the show this week? Well, <laughs> Gallery Whispers is back for Mark's final episode, and by golly, it is a cooked doozy. Um, we sat down with three men who described themselves as living in the quote cool frat house of Canberra. They call it that. We don't call it that. They call it that. There's such one. Um, Chris Bowen, Jason Clare, and Ed Husick. There's a lot of housemate <laughs> stories that get revealed. Yeah. Um, Got a bit, a bit into it. Got it. Weird. <laughs> it got really it got weird. It got really weird. We can say that because it got weird. So we'll be getting to gallery whispers a little bit later in the episode, but let's crack on and start with this week's Fast Five. Mark, what is number one? Yes, my last Fast Five starts with number one. Um, I was at the High Court this week for a very dramatic directions hearing relating to the citizenship mess. I have to say, though, Alice, this is the most interesting um, court proceedings I've seen relating to political matters um, in recent memory because... Not least, actually, because you weren't allowed phones or computers 
to be open. How so, old yeah. fashioned. Yeah, and I, I was sitting there being like, the attendant came up to me and said, you, oh, sorry, so you're going to have to close that computer. And I said, oh, what? And they're like, yeah, we don't allow electronic devices in this courtroom. I was like, Jesus, hell. So anyway, I got my, lucky I brought my notepad and um, I got to- A pen and paper. A pen and paper. (laughs) And um, and so for an hour and a half, I listened in to Chief Justice Susan Kiefel as she uh, listened from Brisbane. Now, one of the reasons, fun fact for you and all of our listeners- Fun fact. Love a fun fact. One of the reasons why the High Court is not sitting in Canberra for this matter is because the building- the Canberra building that actually houses the High Court um, is busted and the air conditioning, which is 37 years old, is absolutely rooted. So um, they're doing refurbs. <laughs> Did you know that? They couldn't wait till Christmas? No, no, no. Mm. So right in the middle of the year, um, the High Court um, air conditioning is getting fixed. So Justice Kiefel's in Brizzy. I was in Sydney. There was also some journos down in Melbourne and some silks in Melbourne as well. But it was over the five MPs who were the first group of politicians who were fallen afoul of Section 44 because they were found to be sneaky dual citizens. So that's Barnaby Joyce, Matt Canavan, who were the Nationals, Malcolm Roberts, who's the One Nation bloke, and Scott Ludlam and Larissa Waters from the Greens. Now, I'm sure people of this podcast um, are already aware. Uh, Larissa Waters and Scott Ludlam have already resigned. They've already said Mm -hmm. we're, we're leaving. But there is a question mark over Larissa Waters because the Solicitor General this um, at this hearing suggested that waters would actually be, um, you know, put within the same pot of people as Barnaby Joyce and Matt Canavan because the law was changed on her retrospectively. So actually, maybe Larissa Waters shouldn't have resigned and maybe... Well, she said that she wants to recontest. She wants to recontest. Yeah. So she might be coming back into the parliament in the casual vacancy. I just say, watch this space. But so we have five but, of them. So this didn't include um, Fiona Nash, who hasn't yet referred herself to the High Court. Yeah. Or Nick Xenophon, who has uh, who, who has Let been told by this. the UK Home Let Office, me, yeah. isn't a jewel. Let me tell you this. Um, so in on September fourth, when the Senate reconvenes, mm-hmm. Zen- Xenophon and Nash, who are the next two, they're going to be uh, like referred to the High Court. They've already said that they're you know fully fully aboard on that. And Kiefel is going to have a directions hearing with those two as well. So <sighs> then. She then says, uh, "What we need is to have a three day a three day sitting to hear all of these cases together. So seven MPs will all be heard together, and the government wanted it in mid September because they didn't want another parliamentary sitting where all of these really big concerns were going to be hashed over. And also, they've got a high court challenge on the plebis, the postal There's survey so as well. On. There's so much. But <laughs> Kiefer was like, "No, nah, I'm not having any of it. We are going to have the three day hearing in October. So the government is." not that thrilled about that. But just two more issues with this directions hearing, which mm. I found to be super fascinating. Hit me, hit me. Malcolm Roberts's barrister, a guy named Robert Newland, stood up and for the first time revealed, it kind of was a... a, a, a he sort of dropped it in in, in a way that was very unre- unremarkable for him, but a few of the journos gasped when he said it. He said that Malcolm Roberts actually, after the election, got sent the official citizenship renunciation documents after the election, filled them out and sent them in. Which is one of the reasons why he probably got a registration, um, a, a certificate registration saying, yeah, you're no longer a British citizen. So, Mark, when he held a press conference in Parliament House that we played on this podcast a few episodes ago and said, I have never been a British citizen, was he, in fact, maybe not telling the truth? Look, we have produced a document from 1972 that very clearly shows that when he was applying to be an Australian citizen at the age of 19, he said that he was a British citizen. So, but lie, his citizenship lie, papers. lie is a tough word because you've got to, you've got to, um, you know, you've got to make sure that that person knows that the fib that they're telling is a lie. But I'm not going to accuse him of lying. The second thing I want to do, do want to tell our listeners about this. So, 
The the case itself is interesting because not each not every single one of the MPs is going to be treated the same way by the Solicitor General and the Attorney General. So they're the ones that are going to be defending these MPs. Um, they've each of them have their own barrister, but the uh, the Attorney General is the one that's going to be sort of prosecuting the case for them. And three of them, Barnaby Joyce. Matt Canavan, Larissa Waters, they'll be running the argument that retrospective changes to international law is what effed them up in the first place and what saw them run afoul of Section 44. So let me just give you a quick quick example. You'll remember that Matt Canavan, um, he became an Italian, Italian dual citizen in 2005 when his mother registered for him to become a citizen. But what his barrister is arguing, actually, is that when Canavan was born in 1980, the Italian law then changed in 1983 in the Italian Constitutional Court that granted, when he was two years old, that granted Italian dual citizenship by descent through the mother as well as the father. So it was at that point he became eligible to be an Italian citizen and potentially run afoul of Section 44. And his lawyer's like, well, how the hell is Matt Canavan supposed to know, or his parents supposed to know, that he was um, eligible to be an Italian dual citizen? Same thing happened with Barnaby Joyce in a similar way. His father, born a British citizen, actually comes over to Australia, but he was born in New Zealand, and there was no such thing as New Zealand citizenship. So what happens is, is when New Zealand citizenship suddenly becomes a thing, well, then his father becomes a Kiwi citizen, and his son becomes a Kiwi citizen by descent. So that's the argument they're running here. It's that there's a so retrospective saying, change and how the hell were they supposed to know? So what you're saying is it's collusion <laughs> from these foreign powers who are who are working to make sure to that our Australian undermine MPs are, the Australian government. Like how dare what, Canada? How dare how they? How dare they try to get Larissa Justin Waters? Justin Trudeau, how dare you try and corrupt <laughs> and collude our senators? Well, that is the first of a very long five. But um, number two on our fast five this week is going to be Lane Sainty with um, an update on the postal survey. By the time you're listening to this, enrolments and address updates have now closed. But we have learned some things in the last week. So Lane is quickly going to give us a rundown on how people overseas or people who are moving house or people who don't have a fixed address or people who live in remote communities, how can they vote in this postal survey? Alice, Hello. <laughs> There is so, so, so much going on with the Australian Marriage Law Postal Survey, as it is known. Um, oh, the AMLPS. <laughs> precisely. Um, that, as you say, in, in the past few days, we have learnt a lot more details. So even though enrolment has closed now, here are some things about what people who will be overseas for the postal survey can do. I know there's been a huge amount of confusion about this. The official advice has changed since the first time we heard it. Um, so to start off with, you obviously have to be enrolled with the AEC. If you are not, sorry, you've missed the boat. You have missed your chance to have a say on somebody else's marriage, um, <laughs> unless you're gay and engaged and listening to this. So if, if that's you, I'm so sorry. And the first thing to note is that the ABS says it will not be posting any survey forms overseas. This is different to what Matthias Cormann at first said. It is not happening anymore. On their website, it says we are not posting. They've changed their minds. They've thought about it for a week and changed their minds. Exactly. People overseas waiting by your mailboxes. Please go inside. It's not coming. (laughs) So if if you do live overseas, there are two options. One, you can get a trusted person to fill in your survey form for you. So this just entails finding a trusted person and saying to them, hey, you have permission to open my letter and fill in this survey for me. And so you, that, that's the first step. You do actually have to find someone and, and tell them about it. 
But this option differs a little bit depending on whether you're registered with an overseas address or not. So if you're usually registered in Australia and you're just traveling, that form will ordinarily be sent to your home address and you can ask someone there to open it for you. If you're registered overseas or if you're registered in, in Australia and you want it sent to a trusted person who is not someone who lives at your regular address, then call the ABS, the Bureau of Statistics, not the AEC, and set up an event address for the purposes of just the marriage survey. The AAC has asked that you do not change your official address to that of your trusted person because then that screws up the role for the next election. Okay, the second option is that you can get a secure code from the ABS between September 25th and October 20th, and then you can use that code to take part in the survey either online or by phone. It's known as the uh, the paperless response option. So those are the two ways people overseas can vote, or, or should I say take part in this marriage law postal survey. Because, Lane, it is... Well, from what I've heard, a postal survey. Correct. <laughs> um, so Lane has been working diligently to literally try and answer every single question we've been asked about this postal survey. You can find that post pinned to the top of our Facebook page. We also did a one-hour video the other day where, by golly, that was rough. But um, but we it was did amazing. It. it was really weird. I loved uh, it. Yeah, it was Julia Zamiro threw in a question. It was quite lovely to hear from Julia Zamiro. Yes. It will be your applied paid envelope, Julia. Oui, oui. Just to let you know. <laughs> oui, oui. Um, what is number three? So number three is a story I wrote this week. Um, the headline was Liberals are shitting themselves about the prospect of the marriage survey backfiring. So just taking what Lane um, talked about with the marriage survey... The stats on how many people missing from the electoral rolls is going to come out um, in the next couple of days, and we're expecting it to increase by many tens of thousands. Mm. By the time I wrote this, though, there was 37,000 new voters who had joined the rolls since, with more than 430,000 people updating their details. Now, as I said, those numbers are expected to climb, um, but what is important interesting about all of this is that the people who are joining the electoral rolls, we are making an assumption, I spoke to some liberals about this, they're making an assumption that those tens of thousands of people are probably going to be gay marriage supporters, right? Mm. They're going to be same-sex marriage supporters. They're going to be most likely to be young because they're not going to be on the roll. Progressive. Yeah, progressive. And what's going to happen in seats where the liberals actually hold um, on margins that are less than, say, 2,500. And I actually talked to some people about this. And of those people who are on fewer than 2,500 vote margins, we're talking about people like Lucy Wicks in New South Wales with Anson Marlis, Julia Banks down in um, down in Victoria, and Bert Van Manen up in Queensland. And some of the strategists I talked to were saying things like, well, if we're, if we're seeing tens of thousands of new voters come onto the rolls, those people are probably not going to be natural liberal voters. They're going to be, as you say, progressive voters. And what does that mean for the next election? Because what we are tipping is a federal election sometime at the end of next year. There is even uh, one of the worst options that could actually befall the Liberal Party because they call this marriage survey, they don't even really want it, or the moderates don't anyway, mm. and they, they actually then find themselves in the High Court where what if... The High Court then go, oh, no, it actually is unconstitutional and we are going to scrap it. The survey is done. Well, then they've actually just gone and signed up tens of thousands of new voters on the roll. Tens of thousands of new voters who are predisposed not to vote for the Liberal Party at the or, next election. Or, or people – what if the survey goes down so the, the result is no and um, the people that signed up to the roll listen to what the Labor Party are saying, which is within a, 
100 days of government, we will legalise same-sex marriage. Yeah, yeah. Because I, if this is the issue that they care about and this is why they enrolled, exactly right. it's not good. Exactly right. So I think that um, a, a few Liberal people that I've spoken to about this have all sort of said that it wasn't a very smart electoral decision because you've essentially began an enfranchisement of young people um, who are naturally not going to be voting for us in the next election. Those poor 16 and 17-year-olds uh, can't vote. Now, number four on the Fast Five, what is it, Alice? Number four, we've had a draft. Uh, drug testing update. So the government have named the first two places where they will be conducting their trial to drug test people on welfare benefits. Canterbury Bankstown in Western Sydney is one. The other is Logan outside of Brisbane. The third will be in WA and they will announce it later. And they've picked these places because... There's stuff in their toilets. Toilet water. That's That's right. right. They tested the toilet water for drugs and uh, that's how they pick the places. So just to give you a recap, um, this is what we found out in the budget, that across the country, 5,000 people will be subjected to a drug test and they're, they're aiming for people on New Start and Youth Allowance, so it's going to be young people. If they test positive, they'll be put on a welfare card for 25 months and they could have up to 80% of their welfare payments quarantined onto this cashless card. And the card could only be used for food and rent. So if you're a single person with no kids on New Start, you'll only get 53 bucks of cash per week. Doctors and drug experts still think it's a bad idea. Uh, it hasn't worked when it's been tried in a few places overseas. In America, when they did some of this testing, it was 0.01% of people returned positive results. And both Canada and the UK proposed the trial, and then scrapped it before they ever ran it. I think it's interesting. I mean, this is something we have talked about in the podcast before. I know that you um, and our listeners are really interested in it, but when you do do polling about this issue, it is widely supported. This is what I was going to say. Doctors and drug experts still think it's a bad idea. It hasn't worked overseas, but it has huge approval ratings amongst the Australian public. Mm. So the government are doing it. What is number five? I actually found that interesting, though, that the media strategy this week has been just so aggressively calling the commercial station. So lots of FM Mm. radio up in Queensland and in Sydney, lots of a current affair. And I think that, yeah, I mean, if you go on the internet sometimes, stories like this really do set fire and people are against it. But when you do go out into the hashtag real world, Mm. um, you find wide, wide support. So the last one, Fast Five, last Fast Five of my tenure at BuzzFeed OzPol is... I hope you're going out with a good one, Mark. Oh, well, look, I just think that it's a very (laughs) funny situation where you see Pauline Hanson every time you turn on the TV or every time you open a newspaper. And in some ways, it's um, even more funny when she says that she's being silenced. And she says that political correctness means that she can't have her say anymore. It's been a crazy week since, what was it, Thursday last week where she did that absolutely berserko um, burka um, stunt in the mm. in the Senate. A um, whole week but ago. Pauline Hanson on Tuesday night um, went on Sky News and complained that people can't have their say anymore because of political correctness. We can't have a say in this country, she said, because of political correctness, you know, offending someone. And I just... <sighs> it's just outrageous. It's just... Pauline, let me just run through you quickly, your media appearances... In five days. On Thursday afternoon, immediately after the stunt, she went and did an exclusive 15-minute interview with Sydney radio station 2GB and on Ben Fordham's show. She was then going on Sky News later that night for a long interview on Paul Murray Live. Then the next day, she was on the front pages of all the Australian tabloid uh, newspapers for News Corp. Um, If you flicked open uh, those newspapers, there were double spreads. Uh, With exclusive behind-the-scenes photos. Exclusive behind-the-scenes photos. 
That morning, she went on Sunrise, Australia's biggest, most popular breakfast TV show. She also happened to be on Channel 9's Current Affair that night. By Monday, she then appeared on Sunrise again for a one-on-one interview with Samantha Armitage where she talked about how popular she was in the news poll. (laughs) Then there was a a segment called The Senators, which um, appeared her and Sarah Hanson-Young went head-to-head. So... Um, then on Thursday, and then we talked about on Tuesday night, she um, she went on Sky News again to be on Alan Jones' show. So I just want to say, I just want to say, uh, you know, I don't think any Australian politician in recent history has the ability to, when she opens her mouth, to have a microphone shoved in it and a camera in her face. Um, and I just want to make the last point before I do depart to the UK. Don't ever let her claim that she's being silenced because media platforms in this country reward her opinion. That is all. Woof. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm ve- on that hot note, I'm very excited uh, by our next guest, who you got the opportunity to sit down and interview. She is a political expert, a columnist. She makes a mean dessert, and she has a brand new TV show, even though I question the title of it, called The House, which airs on Tuesdays at 8 on the ABC. I'm, of course, talking about Annabelle Crabb. <laughs> I'm here with columnist and now host of the uh, new ABC TV series called The House, Annabelle Crabb. Thank you so much for coming on. Is it on? Hello. It is a rare thrill to be here, so thank you for having me. (laughs) The show is called The House because you say that's the nickname um, people at Parliament House here call it. Well, it's the politest nickname. The politest nicknames. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's... An absolutely stunning TV series, uh, and the whole thing starts with these sweeping drone shots um, of the Australian flag unfurling and that sort of stuff. You filmed also over the course of about 10 months. Do you have a favourite bit um, of that time here? Well, I like the top bit, and I like the bottom bit, you know. Um, I like the bits that you don't see all the time, and even though the flag is obviously the most noticeable part of the building. You never really think about how much of a faff it is to get that flag up there. It's enormous. It flies day and night, so it's unusual in terms of national flags. And it can't really survive up there for longer than a couple of weeks before it starts to get all frayed and tattered. So there's these two guys, Jason and Dave, who the first Wednesday of every month go up there in this just suicide wagon this tiny little um elevator that's incredibly rickety that is kind of on a track that goes up one of the sides of one of the great big masts so we went up there one morning um pre-dawn to film that happening and we had drones which eventually they let us fly around and through parliament house and it was just revelatory because when we were shooting it i just thought oh it's really cold out here and why why are we here (laughs) but then when we saw the footage it was just so stunning I I think one of the things is you see that building all the time and you register that the flag's there but seeing it from a height it means that it's entirely new to you as an observer unless you're you know a member of the Canberra bird community which (laughs) obviously it's boring to them but probably not watching and there's and and the flag itself I mean I think you may have even spoken about this on the show there's actually they it it actually frays and tatters because the wind sort of shreds the flag and so um sometimes if it's been so windy that they can't get up there to change it and has to be um put off you can see it just shredding in front of your eyes. But the thing that I really like about it is there's only one flag. There's about a dozen of them in all. And when they take one down, they send it off to get repaired. So up close, it's all patched and sort of tatty. 
but from a distance, it looks great. Yeah. So, um, and there's one flag that was flying when MH17 went down that they have put away and they will never fly again. Hey. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That is really interesting. Mm. I'm speaking of what would be a fun fact because Alice, my co-host, is obsessed with fun facts. Yeah. She absolutely yeah. loves it, especially about Australian politics and this building. Do you have Do you have one um, fun fact about uh, your time filming the house that particularly you were just like, oh, here's something interesting that the, no one knows about? The thing that really made my eyes pop out is actually a thing that's, I think it's in tonight's episode actually, and it's um, it's – about the coat of arms on the front of the building. Um, one of my favourite people in in Parliament House um, is Justine Van Murick, who's the art curator. The art collection in Parliament House is a massively yeah. interesting story all its own. They um, have a policy of only buying the work of living Australian artists, which means that they, over the last few decades, have bought a lot of cheap works of art from emerging artists that are now worth a lot more. So the collection itself is worth 85 million. It's a really wow. good investment, even though in the past various MPs uh, have described it as avant-garde crap. <laughs> Looking at you, 25th Prime Minister. Oh, 24th, which one is he? Um, Tony Abbott, anyway. Um, he wasn't a fan. Um, so, uh, but it's a beautifully curated collection. It is mm. full of surprises and it moves around the building in kind of quite magical ways. Um, but when Parliament House was made, they commissioned a whole lot of um, artisans to create works of art and, and even just sort of panelling and inlays and marquetry around the building. And one of the things that I love about this series is that we show people some of that stuff, which is normally off limits because you can't take mm. cameras into mm. about 90% of Parliament House. So it always feels a bit unfair that some of the most beautiful stuff in Parliament House doesn't get to be seen. Um, and they commissioned a coat of arms for the front of the building and a sculptor called Robin Blau um, made it and submitted all these beautiful drawings, which Justine still has in drawers down in deep storage, down underground in Parliament's vast network of um, basement corridors where the art collection lives. But she was telling me that um, there are a bunch of different coats of arms throughout the house and they, they put a few of them out to tender and there was um, one where the uh, Australian artist John Coburn put in um, a design, I think it was for the one in the House of Reps, that was rejected among other grounds um, because the um, coat of arms kangaroo was not visibly male. <laughs> Are you serious? I am serious. It was apparently that is a thing that what a, makes a male kangaroo? What's the visible characteristics? Well, how would if you used your imagination for are a you, second? Uh, yeah. So is it something to do with the genitalia or just be? Yeah, it's, it's not it like really, you know innate you know, know, maybe Google was, capacity from engineering or something. Big, dude. It like has, it's, yeah, it has yeah, bigger it's, ears or something like that. No. It's, <laughs> Sometimes the most obvious answer is the correct answer, <laughs> yeah, okay. right? It is, in fact, it's dangly bits. And, of course, the first thing I did was just then go and check out the coat of arms the front of the building, bitches. which is hung like a horse. It is a very <laughs> handsomely endowed kangaroo. So there you go. So, I did not know that, and I sort of don't want to know that, but I can't so there's it. So, so by sort of official authorities say that the, the coat of arms in Australia has to have a male kangaroo. It has to be male. Well, that was the grounds on that which this crown. design was... I mean, it may have evolved since then. I don't know. I mean, maybe we should have a personal plebiscite on this issue. <laughs> but now there's kangaroo junk on the front of the building. There that is. Mo- not, ev- not everyone has seen. Plenty of it, too. Oh, that's just crazy. <laughs> it is. Um, but, uh, so that, yes, that is probably the, the weird f- fact that blew my mind the most, if you'll allow me a BuzzFeedism. No, that's... I think we might even have to do a post on that. Sure. Let me... Um, the, the one thing... I mean, we had um, a, a farewell party in this room last night. We had... I didn't um, invite too many people. 
cool this place is tiny. <laughs> but um, there are some corridor parties that, um, of the past and, you know, politicians yeah. getting a bit wild. Um, can you, like, shed a bit of light for maybe listeners at home that about what sort of things happen, you know, late at night in these corridors and offices? I mean, the really famous one is um, the, the broken marble table yeah. recently. But yeah. do, do you have any, any great Look, cracker stories? I think that... Um, I think that when there's been a change of leadership is often where the really crackers things happen and certainly the the party that apparently went on in the prime minister's office on that night resulting in the the marble table which is still in this building somewhere, somewhere. by the way yeah. yeah no one would show it to us while we were making this series which is disappointing in the extreme um so i think that they definitely have a um those events have a have a transformative liberating air where everyone just goes well screw you i'm gonna take my pants off in the senate now i don't have a story of anyone taking their pants off in the senate but um you know the lodge too i think is often host to a lot of very crazy parties when the occupant has just been booted out and in this new building i think the night that um that Bob Hawke was tipped out in favour of Paul Keating. Um, I wasn't there because I'm far too young and fresh, but um, I think that Hawke threw open the cabinet room, and I know a few journos who were in there, you know, boozing on in the cabinet room, um, which was, uh, you know, a pretty unusual circumstance. I do, in the series, and it comes up in a later episode, get um, a really good rundown of quite a famous drunken night in Parliament House from one of the protagonists, um, it's been known around the place for some years that when the Rudd government's um, GFC um, emergency budget stimulus bill went through the parliament, that a few coalition MPs went missing. And the story was that, I mean, Tony Abbott didn't make any of the votes and um, uh, the story was that he'd been off in the members' dining room getting on the squirt with um, uh, <laughs> Peter Costello and um, Kevin Andrews. And actually, I interviewed Tony Abbott in the uh, members' dining room for this series. He takes me in there and shows me around because it's some, something really interesting in that mm. place. It's it's only MPs are allowed to go in there, and it's so weird because coalition MPs dine up one end and Labor Party MPs up the other end. It's just like a divided territory. It's like an apartheid, and, apartheid members' room. And what I wanted to ask Tony Abbott about was that when he first came to Parliament, he and Ross Cameron, uh, the former Liberal member for Parramatta, who was a great uh, Abbott mate, tried to set up what they called the um, uh, the um, uncontested zone or the um, the demilitarised zone, <laughs> which was going to be a table in the middle where coalition and Labor MPs could come together and meet each other. But they, um, they abandoned it after a very short time because the Labor whips really disapproved of it, apparently, and because Kevin Rudd was the only Labor guy who would show up. So Kevin Rudd would go drinking with Tony Abbott and Ross Cameron? Well, I'd you know, have dinner with them. Oh, yeah. yeah. But um, anyway, in the course of that interview, um, Mr Abbott did give me a full rundown of the night on the squirt, which was quite <laughs> an exciting story. Um, I, I read an interview um, that you did with the Australian newspaper last week yep. um, with uh, Stephen Brooke. And the questions... Oh, the 10 questions. Yeah. <laughs> when I read them, they made me gasp a little bit. And I thought, oh, let me read a couple. A six-part documentary on Parliament House. Isn't that likely to send viewers to sleep? and any hard-hitting interviews or your usual nicey-nicey stuff. <laughs> and you, your answers were very... Um, there was a little bit of a terseness to them, but you, you, you played along. Oh, um, look, there's a bit of a history to that. Um, I think a few years back when I did a series of Kitchen Cabinet... Oh, my God, it was the one in the 2013 election mm. where... Um, 
I did an episode of Kitchen Cabinet during the campaign with Tony Abbott and one with Kevin Rudd. And the, one, the day that we shot the one with Kevin Rudd, it was the same day that he had mounted a press conference and said that he was suspending the campaign to go and save Syria. <laughs> and I, for because I was in Melbourne interviewing Boris Johnson, I flew straight to ca- mm. Queensland to do this interview and I my, my phone had run out of battery. I got there in a flap and ran in there and I wasn't aware that the that the campaign so-called had been suspended so Rudd turned up sort of a little bit late we did the interview it was really truncated because he was on campaign and then mm. off he went and off I went and I didn't realize we got to the airport and I started getting calls that this had become a story and it, it, and so on the next day the news Sundays had all over their front pages um PM leaves campaign to save Syria and then flies to Queensland to do lightweight cooking show. (laughs) And all with like pictures of me in an apron. Like it was awesome. It was really awesome. Um, And so then um, the 10 questions people from the media guide wanted to do an interview which was mainly about that stuff. So like all the 10 questions were about what do you think of News Limited? How would you rate the News Limited's coverage of the the, um, campaign? And so my answers were ruder and ruder and ruder and they eventually said this is like one of those dates where you know <laughs> your date just keeps saying that's enough about you what do you think of me <laughs> anyway so, so there is a there is a slight history of uh, a bit of a um a, a bit of good-natured mm. um uh um sass <laughs> in my interaction with that column so i think it probably i wasn't particularly offended by it i thought it was a have you noticed um in last couple of years i think it's maybe the poisoning of the well of the internet maybe has probably yeah. spurned this that there's been some antagonism to that sort of more color feature um style that you portray you know yeah. like you do i mean and i i think that i've, I've seen it even with what buzzfeed do yeah, yeah. we've copped it a bit and um i just well, wanted to get... chat to philip ruddock and then everyone thought you were trying to put people in prison yeah i mean yeah. I, I i taught philip ruddock how to use snapchat <laughs> and he vomited rainbows and all this sort of stuff and i thought it was like in many ways we were trying yeah. to like have a bit of it, we were actually poking fun at him and with him at the same yeah. time and yeah. and I and I, I still and it was obviously very very widely shared piece and all that sort of thing but we did cop a lot of flack yeah. from that and I, I I remember there was one episode you copped a lot of flack from which was I think the Scott, Scott Morrison, Morrison one, yeah I still hear about that yeah. you still hear about yeah. it yeah and what like does it bother you that you're now at that stage where um uh, well, does it, first of all, does it get to you? And what's your reply to those critics um, who well, who do think that it's not real journalism, or you know, I don't want to see journalists um, having fun with politicians? Well, look, I think that I mean, at every stage that you're in as a journalist, you get um, you get yelled at by somebody, right? Mm. Um, and there's always someone who doesn't like what you're doing. Look, I don't ever pretend that what I do is a replacement for traditional hard news journalism. Well, what worries me a bit about the political process is that people are so disengaged with it. Like if you look at the Lowy poll, every year or two years that they do it, they get these incredibly frightening responses, I think, from younger respondents mm. saying that they don't agree that democracy is the best form of government. Like, you know, and, and I think that's a bit worrying. And I think part of it is because... Um, our parliament has not functioned brilliantly in the last few terms. I mean, like, it's been 10 years since we've had a prime minister who's completed a term of government. Now, that doesn't inspire faith in the capacity of governments to actually make decisions and follow them through, Mm. whether you agree with them or not. Um, So I've always thought, ever since I worked here as a journalist um, early on in my career, I always thought that it would be good to be able to show people a bit more about 
the political process or maybe broaden the entrance points to politics? Mm. Because if you're super engaged and, you know, you read four newspapers a day and you can explain superannuation policy at the drop of a hat or whatever, then you will find your way. Like, you will find the stuff that you need. What I worry about is that people who think they're not interested in politics get put off it by the shouting that they see and they don't find a way in and I always remember the way I found my way into politics being interested in politics mm. was I was working in a fruit and veg shop in Scotland and I used to read the Times and Matthew Paris's columns in the Times just made me so interested in politics and I've never forgotten that and I think I would never be a snob about the way people get information about politics or mm. find a way into politics and I'm a big fan of providing that access point and yeah like people will see it and say oh that's too soft and you're not you know um, you're not doing a hard enough interview but I also think that sometimes if you show people, you know, what this person who makes these decisions is like or, um, you know, what their priorities are or even if it's unflattering, you know, like even if you look at that person, you go, well, that person is a total jerk, you know, you sort of can find out a bit more about them and their motivations, which I think is, I think it's useful, mm. but not everybody does. So I guess it's just a freedom of choice thing yeah i mean your style is very much kind of a, a lead of what buzzfeed does in many ways we try to mix you know color and hard news and trying to keep people account and also being able to give people an access point into politics yep. i think it makes complete sense to me um okay last question yep. and because the title of the podcast is called is it on is sort of a, a nod to the meme of australian <laughs> politics <laughs> well it's you, getting towards that time of year yeah right? i was about to say do, do you think it's on is I it think on? It's on you do i don't think it's you on. don't sorry i don't yeah why is that um, because like, everybody is now in a um, in a custom in yeah. Parliament House where you assume it's on until proven otherwise. But I think, and this is just my dumb analysis and you can have it for a penny, um, is what has to move. It's like that whole kind of Gillard-Rudd thing mm. that went on and on forever. And it was obvious that the person who had to move was Bill Shorten. And if he didn't move, then nothing was happening, right? And I think that that's happening here. I think if Peter Dutton's not moving, if that if if those kind of members of the right that have been pretty firm in beside Malcolm Turnbull and who made the difference uh, to Tony Abbott's leadership when they last changed, if they're not moving, and I don't really get a big sense that they are, then I think, folks, not on. Thank you so much, Annabelle Crab. <laughs> you are very welcome. I like the woman. I like the woman. I like the woman. We did bring back Gallery Whispers for season two, Alice, because people really love it. But the one thing that we are going to do is not whisper this time around. Why is that? Um, because people hate the whispering. So we've brought the segment back, but with one condition, we will only whisper Gallery Whispers. Gallery Whispers. Gallery Whispers. Okay, so um, for the premiere of the new and improved Gallery Whispers, we thought we'd actually get some MPs in because last time we did it, it was a, a smashing success. And um, the three men in front of us now um, are all members of a bit of a frat house, a Labor frat house. So can you all introduce yourselves? Well, he's Ed Husick, he's Jason Clare, and I'm Chris Bowen. Gallery Whispers. Gallery Whispers. Whispers. So there is Gallery Whispers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Gallery so, Whispers, which so are just, whispered. So, so I can't just get a, my handle on the instructions. Like, are we whispering know. or not? We'll write it out for you, Ed. It's okay. okay. So yeah, three Labor MPs, uh, Ed Husick, uh, Western Sydney member... Actually, you're all Western Sydney members, yep. aren't you? Yeah. Um, Ed Husick, Jason Clare, and Chris Bowen. And um, to kick it off, I think I'll start. Okay. Okay. A journalist 
was getting into was in an, was in an elevator yesterday, mm. and um, a very very senior got into the elevator with the journalist and and told him that she was going to level two, and so made him press the button. It was it was told told by told to me in a way that that was essentially thinking that. She, she, he was there as the attendant. He, he was an attendant. He was an attendant. Interesting. That's my first. That's my first. Whispers. Okay, Ed Husic. Did they say what was on level two? Like in David Jones? Like <laughs> a, <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. It, it, was like, it was like like a scene in Mad Men. Second yeah. floor. Yeah. Yeah. What's your What's your first Lens gallery accessories. whisper, Ed? Which member of parliament is about to launch a new dating app that makes people date major landmarks and bridges? Gallery whispers. <laughs> Okay, a reference to uh, Alice's wonderful interview with Eric. What Abetz. would the name of that dating app be? Bang the Bridges. <laughs> Bang the Bridge. <laughs> bridge um, the Bridge Banger 2000. Okay, okay. Alice. On, on the theme of dating, here's my first whisper. Um, there are rumours that uh, Craig Laundie's brother is a contestant on the next season of The Bachelorette Oof. with Sophie Monk. So this is Craig Laundie, uh, Liberal MP... Um, and I asked him, I confronted him about this yesterday, and he said to me, I've signed a confidentiality, confidentiality agreement, I'm not allowed to say anything. Is Craig Lorne going on Australian Ninja? Is that the other part of the story? <laughs> <laughs> I am amazed that you know there's a show that involves the words Australian and Oh, Ninja. I love Australian Ninja. Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, I, I think it's because you heard of Craig Claire. No, no, no. actually called Australian Ninja Warrior. That's true. Yeah. That's true. No, you got me there. But I do love it. <laughs> so, so, what do you guys watch in the frat house? What, what's on the TV? Well, so we live together, as you know. Yeah. Um, in Canberra. Yeah. Um, Erica Betts wouldn't approve of that, but it <laughs> yeah. is true. Love is love, man. Yeah. Um, you just like cycling buddies. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't. We don't watch much TV because we, you know, we don't get home until relatively late, and we have a, a yarn. And but if obviously we will watch Q and A or Late Line or something topical, but we don't you sit around and watch. Outrageous. Yeah, we we open a can of. We open it's a can of lemonade, but we do it with our teeth. <laughs> Just to fuck up. <laughs> so, I see in the frat house. So, um, we don't sit around and watch Mad Men or anything. We're not, it's like, you know, we don't really have the time for that in Canberra. But it's more... Well, that's because you won't let us. Well. Oh, are you the king of the house? No, do you run the house? No, we're all equal. No, all no. Equal. Not of this flat bullshit. Ed, Ed, does, Ed does need some discipline from time to time. There's someone true, who's clearly going to be the person who runs the, runs the show. Well, I've heard, I've heard that, um, uh, Chris, you're the very tidy one, uh, and Jason, you're the messier one. Really? Uh, no, yes. No, 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 no. You've been oh. let us through. Oh, oh. No, Jason's pretty tidy. I couldn't say that of all three of us, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's crap. I am extremely tidy. Well, yeah, definition of tidy. <laughs> A type of tidy. Yeah. Mm. Okay, who's got the next whisper? Well, my whisper. If I'm allowed to whisper. Can you follow instructions? That's Jason, by the way. It's <laughs> Jason Clare. Can't tell because he's whispering. Julie Bishop's media strategy for this week <laughs> was developed by her new press secretary, Anthony Scaramucci. <laughs> <laughs> the mooch. Scaramucci, Scaramucci, can you do the fandango? Didn't know where that was going, but that was really good. Hey, uh, how good was the SNL takeoff? Ah, uh, well, see, the that's mooch. right. You ask, you ask uh, what we watch, and we do occasionally. Well, Ed and Jason more often will show me something on YouTube, um, which is topical, and it was the SNL Scaramucci this week, which was 
which can't be repeated on a family broadcast, but was um, pretty funny. <laughs> Keep it clean. Hickory, like a New Yorker. No. <laughs> My whisper is that there was a big, there were two very uh, hilarious events in Parliament this week. One of them was uh, an AFL, Friends of AFL night, um, a very... Um, See, Mark knows I know nothing about sport, but I know who Dipper is. Yeah. So Dipper was here. For anyone at home, he has a large moustache. Google his face. Anyway, he was ha- standing and... <laughs> why are you laughing? Google. <laughs> he you, was... He was <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. D-I-P-P-E-R space F-A-C-E search. Yes. Dipper face. Yeah. He was standing and holding uh, the Premiership Cup uh, and on the other side, holding it with him was Pauline Hansen, and someone <laughs> yelled out, "Watch out, Dipper! She'll deport you!" <laughs> <laughs> Whole crowd burst into hysterics. And then the other amazing thing I saw at an event this week was uh, Matt Canavan, uh, Queensland uh, National Senator, Italian. Uh, well, just ask his mum. Uh, he's had some uh, citizenship questions raised around him at the moment. Uh, he went to an event and asked a question with the person who was hosting the event who just happened to be the guy that made Tony Abbott the leather jacket, who was also kicked off Survivor this week. It's a long, complicated story. Just DM me. Mm, I lost, I lost, I'm sorry, I fell off the last round about him for that. Matt Canavan asked a question and he introduced himself as, hi, my name is Matt Canavan. I'm a senator for Queensland, dot, 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 for now. Whole room burst into hysterics. Never seen anyone laugh harder. Good on him. Yeah. Good to take yeah. the piss out of yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, have you guys checked your citizenship statuses? Yeah, we get checked. We get checked every election. <clears throat> Hmm. Mm, but no documents. To no, you guys, we get checked. We get barristers go through everything for exactly. us. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Labor Party, the entire Labor Party, all of us. I'm actually surprised at the variations in quality of the vetting between parties. Yes, is all I'm going to say. Yes, because yeah. we go through it very extensively. And like when I heard what the other or some of the other parties, apparently doing. it's there's it's just more of a ticker box. Do you, yeah. Are you qualified? Yes, they take. We have to we have to fill in pages and pages of mm. questionnaire. No, the, which the Liberal Party is a phone call. They ask you, "Are you a dual citizen?" You say, "No." That's it. That's no, it. no, no, that's not the case. That's and that's why we're seeing a difference. Mm. Mm. Chris Barn, you're up. Uh, well, we live here in Canberra. My gallery whisper is that a little while ago, not so long ago, a certain member of the frat house thought it was very funny. Consistently, day after day, morning and night, to park in the shadow treasurer and park his car so close to mine, the shadow treasurer had to climb in through the passenger seat at 6am every morning when I left the flat and... You climbed in through the passenger seat? It's one day somebody was jogging past and sort of looked at me like I was still in a car. Of course, Ed thought it was hilarious... To you, park in, you do park get the concept in. of gallery whispers <laughs> and, and so, rumours, right? So, yeah. well, this is the, now just a therapy given session. The, given the both, you know, <laughs> both, right. both, both the subject the and... The, Knock off Josh Taylor, lie on the couch and we'll just like... So then I started... Therapy this hour. Then I started strategising where I park and parking next to somebody <laughs> so he couldn't park me in. And then Ed threatened at one stage to like get up in the middle of the night and see if they'd moved their car so he could come down and park me in again. This is how... This is the, um, the thought process which Ed Hughes engages in on some of the big issues confronting our nation. In an unrelated matter, there is a shadow minister who's not been successful in shadow ERC at least <laughs> through the same period of time. <laughs> this is Gallery true. whispers. 
Gallery whispers. Can I can I ask as you've mentioned probably about five times then that you are the shadow treasurer? Only in the I context of plumbing it. into my car through the passenger seat. If anybody out there is sort of seen at six o'clock in the morning, so the shadow treasurer plumbing into his car through the <laughs> passenger you, seat. What is that? How do they identify you by your ass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Oh, I know who that is. That's Chris yeah, Bowen. By a large, probably right. And he just winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> what? It can happen. Like if you get the right angle. <laughs> so there's no standards for this podcast at all. No, no. There's absolutely no standards. Here's here's. I say that we're not bringing the filth. I think the filth yeah. is being brought oh, by no, the frat Oh, really? House. Really? Who came up with the name Bridge Banger for the app? <laughs> yeah. No, you're all class. So my question to the uh, Shadow Treasurer without notice is, um, uh, is it true that after Bill Shorten gave a rousing speech in Parliament uh, saying that it's time to, to run the Yes campaign for the Postal Survey, that Alan Joyce called him and said that he'd help fundraise? I don't know. I don't know. If that's, that's my gallery. Well, it might be. I don't know. Mm. He didn't call me. And if, it, if he did call Bill, I don't know about it. And Here's my gallery with him if he did. Here's my next gallery whisper. Well, you're really getting into this, huh? Well, I was asked a question. And the answer is I don't know. When you don't know the answer, it, it's always best to say so. <laughs> no, I just pretend to keep going. Oh, it works right. for you. You answer the question. No, I don't know. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Are you so, going to lift any weight in this? <laughs> you know, I, I just embarrassed you. I can do, do it lift, again if you like. Do you lift, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what those two do lift is McFlurries. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, they... what flavour combo though? <coughs> well, I'm an Eminem man. Mm. Oh, controversial. I, those Maltese are McFlurries? Genius. Mm. Really good. I'm OG Oreo. Really? Oh, man. Oh. So most nights they come home with a McFlurry and then on some nights we're sitting around and they'll look at each other and, you know, they get this look in their eye and raise their eyebrow. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, just and, send it there, man. And <laughs> it's, yeah, let's go get a McFlurry. So I, I don't eat McFlurries, but they go off and bring them back. I've heard you have a very strict 6am gym regiment. Yep, yep. I go to the gym at 6am. Every morning? Yep. Even when you're a bit hung, a bit dusty? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm over here. Again, 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 the, the no, dirty minds is coming down. If this gets edited out of the podcast... Then BuzzFeed truly is a piece of I think garbage. Alice Workman, piece of garbage. <laughs> Alice Workman is on the floor at this point, laughing. <laughs> she can't. She's just lost it. Look, mark, guys, hung, step, so. hung is a hung is a. I a knew word what you meant. Yeah, keep going. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Uh, most See, points, I mean, he, unless, he agrees to the same approach I do. When you don't know the answer, just keep keep going. Keep playing on. on. Ed, Ed, here's a good young young person's term. Chat equals hungover. Right. Okay. I didn't know that. There I'm extremely go. chat. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. But so, what do you do when you're really hungover? You just get up and go. Yeah, well, I don't, well I'm you a, lift uh, um, treadmill. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen. He's the father. He's the responsible one. Well, he I'm gets not. up, goes to work, goes to the gym, does all the responsible things. Yep. We're the naughty ones who go to McDonald's in the middle of the night. Yeah, and park him in. <laughs> um, yeah, but what he does do also is he makes his toast. He needs his, he needs to carve up before he goes to the gym. One morning, he puts his toast in and burnt it. The alarms, I, I wake up to fire This was alarms. at 5am because I was getting ready to go to the gym. I, I come out, my hair is like... Bed hair. Really? This time of day? Anyhow, the thing goes on and on and on, and the only person not... No. <laughs> <laughs> the only person not to wake up is Jason Clare. Swipe through the fire alarm. Whose logic was, whose oh, logic was, if bed. something was going to happen, you'd wake me up. 
Just rest You'd come and get him if it was a real fire. That was his logic. Yeah, I could still hear your voice, so I knew you weren't dead. And you could hear you could hear me um, waving the tea towel <laughs> at the fire alarm. Yeah, smoke away. So. Yeah, that was a sight to see. One more whisper from me. Mm. I saw today in the trough, which is the one of the cafes here at Parliament House, Sophie Mirabella rocked up, Gina Reinhart's lobbyist, and she was meeting with uh, One Nation advisor. Mm. Sophie Mirabella. Gallery whispers. Gallery whispers. Is, okay, any, any final whispers from anyone? Any rumours? Well, maybe I should pass Jason one Clerk. more rumour in. The rumour the rumor is <laughs> that ASIO have finally discovered that Barnaby Joyce's Dorothy Dix is about carp <laughs> and potatoes really a secret message to the New Zealand government <laughs> about fush and jobs. <laughs> all right, good way to end it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Chris Bond, Jason Clare and Ed Hughes. And, and, and on our behalf, parking. Mark, this is your last day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Last You're day in the building. London. Last day in the building. Yeah, so off to London. We just want to say... Good luck, mate. Thanks, yeah, Matt. Yeah. If you're yeah. listening to this now, you're on your way to London. Yeah. 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 Well, if you're listening to this podcast, Mark, this is definitely <laughs> no longer with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. Great. All right. Frat houses in Canberra. Yeah, that was pretty intense. Um, interesting to note how none of them really prepared any actual whispers, but just workshopped, like they just, just brought jokes. in workshop jokes <laughs> until things started turning nasty and they all turned on each other. Yeah. But then as we were leaving, Chris Bowen, who was wearing a uh, wool tie. It was very, very suave. And you said, nice wool tie. And he said, oh, thank you. Trade Minister Steve Chobo across the way. Said it was a lovely tie, so he's going to go buy him one. It's Italian. that's a real whisper, Chris. Yeah, you could have brought that to the you table. Have, you could have said that, but yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, well, this has been a chocker block episode, uh, so we're going to crack on with some bin juice. Uh, but instead of doing stories we didn't think got enough attention this week, Mark, for your final bin juice, I thought that you could tell me some of the things you've learnt about Australian politics during your time in the gallery. Yeah, I got three things. Great, three things. Hit for me you. with your three things. Okay, first of all. There's a very handy mnemonic to remember Anastasia Palaszczuk's name. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so Anastasia Palaszczuk is the Queensland Premier. Labor Premier. Labor Premier. And she has one of the most ridiculously hard to spell names. Mm. But I learned in my time covering Australian politics, <laughs> there's a really ha- handy little rhyme that they say up in Queensland to remember her name. So this is Palaszczuk is how you say it. And if you ever need to know how to spell it, remember Pala Sydney Zoo. Canberra Zoo, UK. So that's Pala, Sydney Zoo, S-Z, Canberra Zoo, C-Z, and then the letters U-K. That's how you spell Anastasia Palaszczuk. P-A-L-A, Sydney Zoo, Canberra Zoo, UK. Bang. That's how you spell the Queensland Premier's name. What a fun fact. Number two. Number two is that there is a room at Parliament House (laughs) called the Meditation Room, which uh, I would just like to say to people who don't know, um, I don't don't think that Annabelle Crabbe is going to be covering the Meditation Room in in her documentary, The House. But I want to say to the listeners out there, there's a Meditation Room which carries with it some of the most disgusting myths and legends of Australian political history. You can only get there in one elevator. It's hidden on a level that doesn't exist anywhere else. So there's just one elevator that goes there. Special elevator. You hit the M, you go up. And people are rooting. (laughs) No, look, there's so many... There are three little nooks. And the way the nooks are designed is that when um, 
so you walk down a staircase and then it curls around in a U-shape so you can hide in the U-shape and you put your shoes at the bottom <laughs> of the stairs so people know you're in there and they know not to go down. But Laura Jays from Sky News um, said that she used to go and nap in there when she was pregnant. Yeah. So there are, there are I'm sure there are people that are going there to meditate, doing a bit of headspace. There you is know, a copy of the Bible in there. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, the Quran. I've just heard some amazing stories about the meditation Have you ever room. been there? I've never been there. I just think that it's very funny that there's a room called the Meditation Room at Parliament House that has, along with it, some of the most disgusting stories I've heard. I showed it to Lane Santy last week. What did she She'd think? never been there. He was a bit creeped out because there were people in there. Like, there were shoes at the bottom of this. Okay. So we kind of went, and okay. ran out. Yeah. Okay, my final thing. Final, final thing. final thing that I learned about Australian politics in my time covering it. And this is going to sound really silly and dumb, mm. but people lie a lot in Australian Ooh. politics. Okay. One to one. I know this is going to sound really weird and I was thinking about this. I try to explain it to friends of mine and my partner and all this stuff who don't really are not really involved in politics and journalism and things like that. When I got involved in political journalism, I always thought that, like, you know, you get spun, you know, you get flax calling you and trying to sell you on the story and trying to tell you the angles of the story, blah, blah, blah. But, like, the last couple of years I've realised that people just flat out lie to your face mm. and will say to you no or yes to answers to questions that are pretty easy to know what which way it eventually the, the truth does come out. And a couple of times I've been sat there, you know, I'll see some breaking news on on the TV or, or listen to it on the radio and I'll be just like, oh, wow, I got lied to. I, I, I was told that wasn't a story. I was told that that was not the way it turned out. And I think that that is the one concern I have about Australian politics and the way that maybe the people from the outside see into it is that there is a lot of lying going on, which is not very good for our democracy. I, I think it would be much better if we had a system where people were willing to be honest and or, or like Chris Bowen said in Gallery Whispers. When he didn't know the answer, he said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, it just, uh, that is just one thing that I'm just taking away from me from Australian politics. I didn't realize that people lied as much as they do, where they know that they're actually telling an untruth, but they're doing it to throw you off a story. The amount of times I've been told something is incorrect and then like opened up the paper the next day and it was just literally Mm. just to throw me off the scent because, you know, the story was about to appear in a paper. So, yeah. Alice, people lie. They're my, they're my three things. Didn't Dr. House always say everybody lies? Is that what he, is that what he said? I think so. What's your bin juice this week? Now, Mark, my bin juice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you look very concerned. I don't know. You're, you're, you're coming in the bin juice very quiet. Um, so, Mark, I have been recently informed that this is not the first podcast that you've ever wanted to do. No! <laughs> <laughs> So I've been told that at university you wanted to launch a long-form sex podcast where you interviewed a guest per episode and asked them about their sex life and it was called the Sex Culture Gobfest. Now, I've heard you never actually recorded an episode. Is that true? But remarkably, no one wanted to go on the record with all of these stories. But... I've been told that you would spontaneously host live versions of this podcast and at dinner parties, someone would be targeted and asked to appear on the Gobfest and people would watch in hysterics as you probed them about their desires and kinks and habits and former partners for around 20 minutes. Um, and you'd go up to people and say, do you want to be on the Gobfest? And everyone would be like, lol, no. And then because you are such a good journalist and interviewer, they would agree 
to do it and, and you you found a way. It was a live performance podcast. I'm and no one would ever like cuz we we always joke that we always joke that we should record it and then realize that why would anyone actually <laughs> agree to that? Um there's like we did like four episodes. And they were just your friends or were they Yeah, they were just my friends and they were so like most of the time, I mean, as you can imagine, it was like it was like a podcast version of like sex column in Dolly or something. It was, you know, it was really about talking through, (laughs) talking through (laughs) shit. What was your best best scoop on the Gobfest? I spoke to, I spoke to a friend of mine who told me about the time that um, they made out with Usain Bolt. Have I told you? What? Have I told you this? No. Well, I obviously can't tell you who it is, but (laughs) apparently it was just some of the most insane scenes of her life <laughs> anyway i want to know who told you that <laughs> oh the Godfest. never never reveal your sources. sources so mark from everyone thank you so much hey thank you for this podcast <laughs> i want to say a big thank you to our producer nick ray who is in america but he's coming back next week to fix all oh, of our audio thank problems God. Just in time for Mark to leave. Nick is coming back. Maybe we'll start a new segment with Nick. Like yeah. Nick in the gallery. Like Nick knows. Nick knows. Nick knows. Nick knows nuts. Um, uh, the, the ray of it all. Oh, a ray of... Sunshine. A ray of wisdom. A ray of wisdom. Nick's ray of wisdom. Um, yes. So thank you to Nick. Thank you to Lane Sainty as per usual. Thank you to Nicola Harvey, Richard James, Peter Holmes and the whole pod team. A big thank you to Rode for supporting the podcast. You can go to buzzfeed.com slash is it on or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Leave a rating and a review. Um, we'll have another episode out next week without Mark, but for now you can at him at Mark DeSteff on Twitter. Send him your fond farewells and your favorite memories. I started a Twitter thread today with some of my favorite Mark DeStefano stories and my God, there are about – you wrote over 1,300 stories in mm, your three years at BuzzFeed. Some of them are really bad as well. <laughs> some of them are excellent. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed them. Like the one about – I don't think I'd ever seen the one with Malcolm Turnbull. He put up a 404 page which made a joke about how they were really agile yeah. but the website was broken. Yeah, it was, good. It was a good times. It was good times. <laughs> yeah, so if you're awake uh, late at night, I'm sure Mark will be blowing up your Twitter feed. I am at Workman Alice and – For the last time, Mark, I have to ask, is it on? It's always on in Australian politics, Alice. As much as what Annabelle Crabbe says that it's not on, there's always a state of onness in this country that I'll always miss. Is it true that your friends call you the Prince of Buzz? (laughs) 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 Did you you go to my mates and just be like, can I get all of the most ridiculous... (laughs) Stupid can you can you tell can me? I, can I just say that the Prince of Buzz? It's it's very much said as a way to put me down. Like I, it's not said as a nickname to say, "Oh, look, it's the Prince of Buzz." It's like, "Oh, look who it is, the Prince of Buzz." And what about sphere theory? <laughs> what can you tell me about that? I don't have enough time to tell you about sphere theory. <laughs> All right, well, you can add me, Mark, on Twitter, <laughs> Mark the Steph. He's also on Facebook. Uh, if you dare me, I'll give you his UK mobile number too. I'm sure you'll be lonely over there. Yeah. Okay, Mark, thank you so much. Okay. I'll get you to Skype in when you're in the UK. Yeah, we definitely will do that. Okay, everyone. I'll be back next week, but he won't. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs>